0: You're listening to the DNB Supply Show Podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, welcome back to the d Supply Show podcast, everybody. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, and thank you so much for joining us again this week. Well, you know, we are getting ready for towing season. We are coming up on the warm part of the year where people are going to be towing travel trailers, they're going to be towing boats, ATV trailers, they're going to be out cutting firewood, doing all sorts of stuff that goes with the Western lifestyle. And you know, once you hook something up to your pickup, to your SUV, or whatever you're towing with it changes things, right? You've got more weight to pull. You've got farther stopping distances. Things can get a little bit dicey sometimes. And so it's always great to learn new skills or to get a refresher on old skills when it comes to towing safely so that's what we're doing in today's episode today's episode is going to feature two guests we're interviewing sergeant sean staley from the idaho state police about the idaho state laws uh, surrounding towing as well as tips and strategies on towing safely and we're also interviewing lieutenant sean belding from the oregon state police about the same topics there's a wealth of information and expertise coming your way and we hope you enjoy today's podcast Sergeant Staley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Hey, you bet. Uh, You know, it seems like a really good time of year to start talking about towing safety just as we get into the spring and then into the summer. Uh, It seems like we see a lot more travel trailers and boats, ATVs, landscape companies out towing. I mean, just tons of people with trailers hooked up to their vehicles. So I thought it'd be a great idea to talk with an expert like yourself and find out some tips and tricks and, and some of the pitfalls people fall into every year.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. I'm glad you uh, reached out to us and got our opinions on this.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess my first question for you is just a little bit about you. So what is your background? How long have you been with the Idaho State Police? And kind of where is your area of responsibility in our state?
1: Yeah, I've been with the Idaho State Police for 15 years. And I've been in the Commercial Vehicle Safety Division now for the last, uh, well, about nine years. And I'm a, a sergeant over one of our commercial vehicle teams, and we focus on, like the, like the name says, you know, commercial vehicles. And so we deal a lot with trailers being towed around, and I'm also um, a technician as far as the hazardous material transport goes as well.
0: A lot of technical stuff there. I remember some of my training on that and that MSDS guide we had to carry and all the standoff distances with hazmat, and uh, you guys with that expertise, <laughs> you've got a lot of knowledge on that type of stuff.
1: We try to to stay up on it, for sure.
0: (laughs) So, I wanted to ask you to start off. I mean, is my thought on this right? Do we see more vehicles uh, with trailers attached to them during the warmer seasons, or am I just imagining that?
1: No, you are definitely spot on there. Uh, Everybody gets their travel trailers out and starts going up. They start doing their landscaping, uh, whether it be for commercial purposes or personal. Um, You know, anything you can think of, they start to tow it, especially, you know, boats and jet skis a lot of different setups we have as far as towing vehicles behind them and so this is the time of year that everybody gets those things out and starts pulling them up the mountain so
0: now do you or the isp in general start seeing an increase in responses to towing related incidents during this time of year
1: yeah we do and and not so much as just right now but as, as as the temperatures start to increase we see a lot of them as far as tires start to blow when the the temperatures get up because the tires aren't maintained they sit all winter and then they they get out they have maybe a little rot in the sidewalls and they as the temperatures start to increase those tires expand and blow and we see a lot of problems with that then also overloading of our trailers and people not having the the knowledge or expertise in in pulling these trailers so yes we see a large increase in incidents with uh, trailers
0: so those are kind of the most typical problems that you start to see when it, when the weather warms up, or are there other things you run into every year as well?
1: I think the biggest problem with uh, people pulling trailers is always that they just don't take into account the fact that they have a lot more weight behind them. Uh, that, that's the biggest one, and, and their equipment isn't always up to standards. Like I said, the tires sit all year, so they could have a little rod or a little less air pressure. They don't check those things. Sometimes the lug nuts come... Uh, undone. They don't maintain the, the the brakes on the trailers, and sometimes those aren't even functional. And they don't take into account that you know, with that additional weight, it's going to take them a lot longer to stop. It's going to take them a lot longer to turn, and they really need to increase that, uh, decrease their speed, and increase their their following distance from the vehicles in front of them. And so that's what we run into is is a lot of crashes involving uh, vehicles because they're following too close. And they don't take into account that they can't stop mm-hmm. quickly as quickly as normal. So.
0: so is there a recommendation that you have in terms of following distance, depending on, I guess, how, how long your vehicle becomes when you attach a trailer to it or, or how much weight you have on?
1: Sure. And we go with the, uh, you know, in commercial vehicles, they're required to leave sufficient space for a vehicle the same size as them to fit in between them and the vehicle in front of them. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're talking, you know, Idaho has a maximum length of 75 feet. If you're 75 feet of length uh, from bumper to bumper, then you need to leave at least enough room for a vehicle your size to fit between you and the next vehicle in front of you. Um, another rule of thumb that we go by is, is Uh, based on speed, you know, for every 10 miles an hour you go and you need to leave at least one car length. And then I would even say that you should, you know, probably almost double that if you have, depending on the size of trailer that you have behind your vehicle.
0: So, and I was going to ask you about that. So that standard there of having enough space to fit a vehicle, your length between you and the, the vehicle you're following, obviously, as your speed increases, that distance has to increase as well. Am I understanding that correct?
1: Exactly. Yeah, you betcha, because the, the faster you're going, uh, the longer it's going to take you to stop. So, you know, for every 10 miles an hour, it's going to take you probably another seven or eight feet to to come to a complete stop.
0: So, of course, as you're slowing down, you get into traffic, that's going to decrease. But that's important to know, especially on mountain roads. And, and, and then how does, if you're on a downhill grade, how does that impact that?
1: That's a great question, because it impacts it a lot as well, because... Um, As you're going downhill, you're going to lose some of that braking power, and you're going to get a lot more push from your trailer. And a lot of it depends on how well your, your trailer brakes are set up and if they're functioning properly, if they are adjusted properly. You know, because with these travel trailers or any any trailer with trailer brakes, you're required to have some kind of adjustment mechanism inside the truck, so an actuator. and uh, But those actuators, a lot of them now are, they set up on their own. They're automatic. You just press the brakes and they set up. You used to have to dial them in mm-hmm. to where they would uh, be adjusted properly. But those, those fail uh, quite often, and so... Sometimes you'll be going down the road, you'll think, you put all your faith in this automatic system, you'll be going down the road, and then they won't be functioning properly. So you come start going down a hill, you have that extra push on your trailer, the brakes aren't functioning at 100%, it's going to put more stress on your on your vehicle, your tow vehicle, and uh, that's going to increase your your stopping distance. So,
0: so how, how should somebody go about testing that actuator before they actually get out and find themselves on that, that steep downgrade?
1: The way I do it with my travel trailer in the in the summer is I go to a, an empty parking lot, and if you roll forward slowly, you should be able. There should be a lever on your actuator that you can press, and it will lock those brakes up on your trailer, and uh, then you can just test it out uh, in that parking lot to make sure that you don't feel any push from the trailer when you press your brakes. Um, if you feel that it pushing on there before those actuate, then then you probably have a little uh, some decreased braking on your trailer but uh, if you have any questions I mean take it into a a trailer uh, repair facility or you know a camper wherever you bought it and uh, have them test it if you're not sure if it's working properly. Well,
0: I'll tell you what, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I've got about, I don't know, 10,000, 15,000 more questions for you on this, all right?
2: Sounds good. I got all day. You already know that Honda makes some of the most reliable, fuel-efficient cars on the planet, but that's just as true for Honda lawnmowers. The best thing about a Honda mower is it's a Honda, which means exclusive features, like the 4-in-1 twin-blade cutting system that results in finer clippings for either bagging or, when mulching, actually feeding your lawn with important nutrients. And it also means a highly fuel-efficient engine that's easier on the environment while you're sprucing up your environment. Plus, depending on the model, Honda residential mowers come with either a three- or five-year limited warranty. Shop Honda at select D&B supply stores in eastern Oregon and southern Idaho d knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation,
3: and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite d and supply.
0: Well, Sergeant Staley, now that we're back, I, I want to continue kind of talking to you about some of these safety issues. So, you mentioned turning a moment ago. So, uh, uh-huh. when you when you do attach a trailer and you add that additional weight and you're going into a curve and, and you've got the yellow or the orange, you know, speed, not limit signs, but the speed kind of suggestion signs, I guess you can say better than me what those are, but telling you how fast you should be going to that corner. Now that you've got a trailer on, how does that impact that suggestion or that safe speed in that corner?
1: I think it just amplifies it because those are recommendations for that size of a of a corner. It's not an an actual speed limit like you said, you know, it's a recommendation that you should be going this speed around these corners to navigate it safely. With a trailer you're going to be everything is amplified, so it's going to take you longer your your speed if if you let's say if you miss the curve by even a, a fraction, that's going to be exaggerated with a trailer because the overall size of your vehicle is so much greater. So you really need to follow those recommendations, and I would never go over them, especially on on our mountain hills here in in Idaho. You can't see around those corners as quickly. Your reaction time is going to be slower. If a vehicle comes around that and they are in the other lane, you're not going to be able to adjust uh, as quickly because of all the, the size of the vehicle that you have. So, definitely follow those recommendations. You know, if it says 25 miles an hour, go 25 miles an hour even or even a little under that.
0: Yeah, very good. And then when it comes to just standard turning, like in town, you're at a four-way stop or you're at a stoplight or something like that, you've got a trailer on, how often do you see somebody who misjudges that and that trailer actually gets up on the curb or it hits a sign or something like that?
1: happens a, a lot. We see that really frequently. And at increase speeds. I mean, if it's if you're going too fast, depending on how your trailer is loaded, if you're really top heavy, just hitting a curb can, can cause that trailer to tip over. And so you have to be really cautious, take your corners wide and um, you know, just realize that you have a lot more behind you than you're used to traveling with. And so you can imagine if you have people standing on the sidewalk, you definitely don't want to run up on that sidewalk. So you got to take an an extra wide turn in order to, uh, navigate our some of our narrow roadways here sometimes in Idaho mm-hmm. and uh, without going up on the
0: curve. Well, let me ask you about turning out. So, obviously, when people are in a slow-moving vehicle or they're, they're pulling a trailer, they're probably going to be a slow-moving vehicle. When are people required to turn out to let other vehicles pass?
1: So, if a vehicle is going under the speed limit and they have three or more vehicles behind them, that's when they're required to turn out.
0: Okay. So they've got to pull over. Uh, I'm assuming when it's reasonable for them to pull over in a safe spot and let other vehicles go past.
1: Yes, there has to be a, a sufficient area where they can safely turn out and get off the roadway. We don't want them pulling onto the shoulder um, because a lot of these shoulders on our um, our mountainous highways are not very wide, so we want a, a nice safe location where they can turn out and I, ITD has actually created uh pull out areas uh, for these slow moving vehicles, and that's what we want them that's what's ideal for them to uh where it's ideal for them to pull out. It's a, it's a good rule of thumb, even if you don't, if you just have some vehicles that are getting impatient behind you, looking like they're, they're trying to pass. If you can pull over for them and just let them by, that's, that's the best way to do it.
0: And so when you talk about being a slow moving vehicle, do you mean a vehicle that's going under the speed limit? Like if you're going the speed limit or a mile or two an hour over it and people are stacking up behind you, do you still face the same legal requirement to turn out?
1: If if you're going the speed limit, you don't you don't, it's not necessarily that you have to pull over. You're not required by law to pull over if you are going the speed limit. But if you are going below the speed limit, then and you have that backup behind you, then you are required to pull over. Even if you are going the speed limit and you see the traffic backing up behind you, that's what I mean. It's it's a good idea to pull over and let them, uh, you know, get by you safely, because we create a, a hazardous environment if we're going too slow. And and we know that people like to drive over the speed limit. Right. And if they if we are kind of giving them the opportunity to pass us, I guess we should say, uh, especially on the mountain roads, like I keep saying, then it's always better for for safety issues just to pull over and let them get by you. Because if they start to pass you, another car comes, they're going to put you, you in danger as well as, as them and the other people oncoming. So
0: yeah sometimes you're you're in the right legally uh but it still mm-hmm. may be more prudent to just pull over it rather than having a situation develop where somebody might pass unsafely, and now you've got three people in danger, whereas you could have just pulled over pulled out for them, and nobody was in danger
1: exactly. Okay. We all need to help each other out out there. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Now, when it comes to passing, when you're, when you're a vehicle and you're towing and you're behind a slow vehicle and they're not turning out and you want to pass, what do you recommend there? I mean, obviously, your ability to accelerate and get around that vehicle and get past them, all of that's going to get stretched out when you're towing. So what do you recommend there?
1: You have to know your equipment. That's the big thing. If you have a truck that can actually, if you're going to be able to accelerate and get past that vehicle quickly enough, and you have to take into consideration how far, how far in front can you see? I mean, is it is it really clear? How long is it going to take you to pass this vehicle? And is it even worth it? You know, keep in mind that a lot of Idaho roadways have built-in passing lanes. And so know, know your territory. If you're coming up to an area where there is a, one of those passing lanes built in, just wait until you get to there uh, where you have the additional lane to, to maneuver. But I don't know if I can tell you, like, a, an actual distance. Mm-hmm. Just know your equipment. Uh, know your environment and just pay attention to your surroundings and make sure that you can get past that vehicle safely. And just realize that you don't wanna just, you have that extra distance, uh, extra length behind you, so you have to get farther in front of that vehicle before you can pull over in front of it to create a safe environment for Mm -hmm. it as well. 'Cause you don't want to put it in a situation where now it's following you too closely and if it has to if you have to stop, it can't stop before it runs into the back of you.
0: Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and you know, I, I just thought of another question. I want to go back to the turnouts for a second. So when you are required by law to turn out because the vehicles are stacking up behind you and you are a slow moving vehicle, is that when it's reasonable to turn out? Uh, Meaning uh, there's parts, say Highway 55 going up to Cascade, where you're going to have vehicles stacking up behind you, but there's just no way for you to turn out. So it's okay to wait until it's reasonable, correct?
1: Yes, yes, you have to wait. You should wait till it's reasonable. Wait till you get a nice open space, uh, an actual pull out area, and then you can pull over and they can they can get past you.
0: now, I wanted to ask you if people are getting going early in the season I mean even Memorial Day weekend in idaho some some years it's great, and some years the weather can just be horrendous. If people are going down the road and all of a sudden they're running into really bad weather, whether it be heavy rain, high winds or uh, maybe even snow, at what point do you think people should just pull over? Over and let that bad weather pass if they're if they're pulling a load behind them
1: well if you if you ever think that you get outside of your abilities to pull that trailer and you have to you have to be real with yourself and know that you know what are your abilities to pull this and it's not just your capabilities but also your your vehicle, your equipment, you know how well are you equipped to handle these adverse conditions, then you should pull over. Visibility is a big one. If your visibility is limited, then you should definitely get off the roadway. And that could be snow, that could be fog, that could be even dirt in Idaho. Uh, we have uh, dust storms uh, caused by high winds in, in a lot of places. That seems like every year we have. It, accidents caused because of dust storms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you can't see the roadway in front of you, uh, then, then make sure you pull over and just err on the side of caution there.
0: Well, let's take another break, and when we come back, let's talk about uh – people driving in from out of state and some of the special things we do in Idaho, all right?
4: Excellent. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at DMB Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field. With continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright. Stop on Select D&B Supply Stores for Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment. Make quick
3: work of your yard work with a little help from D&B Supply, because here you can pick up steel power tools, legendary for getting the job done, fast. Here's one power player that'll really blow you away, or at least it'll blow those pesky leaves away, the Steel BG56CE Handheld Blower. It's powerful, lightweight, and easy to start. Plus, it's a real steel at the everyday low price of just $179.95. Get it all done in one blow, and grab a steel at your favorite. D&B.
0: Well, Sergeant Staley, now that we're back, I wanted to ask you about vehicles coming into Idaho from out of state. So obviously during, especially during vacation and tourist season, we've got a lot of people coming in that are from out of state. Are there laws that uh, we have in Idaho that other people maybe don't have in other states so all of a sudden when they cross the border maybe they're doing something wrong, which was legal in the last place they were at?
1: That's a really good Think for the most part. Idaho is one of the more Loosely uh, legislated uh, states in the in the western United States, and so I think most of the, most of the people that that come in from out of state have there aren't any regulations that I can think of off the top of my head that they would have to follow that aren't don't apply outside of Idaho. Um, one of the things that a lot of the commercial drivers run into is is chain laws when they come into Idaho. Uh, They're used to chain laws being in in all over the states that they're operating in, but when they come into Idaho, there is no uh, actual chain law in the majority of the state. There's three or four passes in Idaho where commercial vehicles are required to have chains, but other than that, it's pretty uh, free reign. And then the other one I would say is, is a securement. If they're bringing articles in on a trailer, A lot of states have securement laws that say that they have to be tied down in a certain way. Idaho doesn't have any kind of a securement law. So you can actually bring a trailer full of cargo into Idaho and not have it secured if you're operating non-commercial, if that makes sense. So you don't have to have your ATVs tied down. You don't have to have your snowmobiles tied down in any way as long as they stay on the vehicle.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, now probably still a good idea to tie them down, but we don't have the laws requiring that.
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah, I would I would never go anywhere without tying down uh any cargo in there because it it doesn't become a problem until it falls off and then you become <laughs> liable for that issue.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I've actually uh at a boat ramp seen a boat fall off of a trailer once. So, it happens. <laughs> Yes, it does. It definitely does. Well, let me ask you about going the other direction, leaving Idaho. And Now, I know you're not an expert on other states' laws, but, for example, you talked about a 75-foot maximum towing length earlier. And in Idaho, you see a lot of vehicles. You see a pickup pulling a trailer and then the trailer pulling like a ski boat or an ATV trailer or something like that. So uh, Mm -hmm. I, I refer to that as towing a train. I don't know what the legal term for that is, but is that legal in Idaho?
1: That is legal in Idaho. Yes, Idaho is one of the, the few states in the, the United States that allows uh, doubles uh, and triple trailers even to be pulled behind a, a power
0: unit. So now, at what point does it uh, become illegal? I guess for, for the, the person who's not a commercial vehicle operator, but they want to they wanna take all their stuff up to, to the lake for the weekend or whatever it may be, at what point have they crossed the line where they could now actually face enforcement action?
1: So they're only allowed to tow two units behind their power unit. So they can have a trailer, uh, actually two trailers. So you can have a, let's say your camper trailer and then a boat trailer. And uh, you can't go over, the maximum length is going to be 75 feet. Once you go past that, then, then you're, uh, illegal. Uh, but you can't have any more than, t- than two trailers behind the power unit.
0: Well, this has been great. Uh, a ton of really important information here. And we want everybody to have a great time uh, during the summer and during the recreation season. But we want them to do it safely as well. I really appreciate you coming on and helping us with that, Sergeant Staley. Sure thing. It's been a pleasure. Lieutenant Belding, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today.
5: Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. Well,
0: I mean, we're we're approaching on recreational towing season, so I figured this would be a great topic to discuss and wanted to get your specific expertise or uh, you know from the state of Oregon. So, everybody who listens to us over in Oregon or even in Idaho who crosses over into Oregon, they can kind of have an idea of what to expect and and what to know when they're towing in Oregon. So, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to start off by just having you introduce yourself and tell us all about you, how long you've been with the Oregon State Police and and uh, where you're stationed and all that type of stuff.
5: All right. So my name's Sean Belding, and I've been uh, with the Oregon State Police since July of 2000. I started my career down in the Medford area and uh, then went to Central Oregon to bend for a while and ended up over here in Northeast Oregon about five years ago. I'm currently the Lagrande Area Commander stationed in Lagrande. so I have Baker Union and Willow counties that I am responsible for.
0: Very cool. So you've kind of gone uh, diagonally through the state from southwest to northeast.
5: Yes, yes. <laughs> Very cool. Got to work down on Interstate uh, Five, and then uh, Highway Ninety Seven in Central Oregon, and you now Interstate Eighty Four is our main thoroughfare here in Northeast Oregon well you know uh, we want to
0: talk about the spring towing season the summer towing season is travel trailers boats ATV trailers all of that let's talk about some laws right now especially for towing recreationally where people maybe seem to be uninformed or maybe they just don't know about them are there any of those out there you'd like to let people know about
5: so there's one that, uh, that we see most commonly and that is uh, exceeding the maximum number of combinations So I believe in Washington and Idaho, you do have a law where you can add another trailer to one that you're already towing. So what our statute says is that if a driver moves on a highway, any combination of vehicles that consist of more than two vehicles, and that counts the the towing unit and the trailer, that that is um, against the law in Oregon. Got it. So it also goes on to state that a vehicle, and you permit it to be a combination of more than two vehicles, you, as the owner, are guilty of this statute. So... As with any statute, there are exemptions, most commonly for commercial traffic and farm equipment. So a lot of times we'll see that. We'll see people pulling a train, mm-hmm. sometimes what they call it, mm-hmm. where they cross over from Idaho or from Washington, and they have a camp trailer and then maybe a boat behind that camp trailer. Okay, And uh, that's just uh, one of the things that we can't do here in Oregon.
0: Well, that's good to know because somebody might... You know, I, I think a lot of people assume if it's legal here, it's legal there, and they just cross over the bridge or whatever it may be, and, and bam, now you're actually in violation. So it's good for people to plan their trips accordingly if they're going to tow like that.
5: Exactly. And, and I'm not sure why this is on the book because of the secondary highways or the narrow roads that we have, maybe some smaller uh, radius curves. But it's been on the books for a while, okay. and that's just how it is in Oregon.
0: Well, now I wanted to ask you along those same lines about brake lights. And so, uh, I, in in Oregon, where you're only t- pulling the one trailer behind you, are you required to have brake lights functioning on both the tow vehicle as well as the trailer, or just whatever's furthest back? I guess if you're towing a trailer, the trailer lights.
5: Yes. Yeah, so, so all trailers uh, shall be equipped with brake lights, two tail lights, two red reflectors, and two red or amber turn signals, in addition to other lighting requirements listed in the statute, but those are the basic ones. Based on the size of the trailer, additional lighting may be required. However, under exemptions from light requirements, whenever vehicles are in a combination during the time the lights are required, which is sun up to sundown, then any lighting equipment to the rear, except the taillights on the towing unit, need not be lighted.
0: All right. And now. If you have a if you have a malfunction while you're out in the middle of, you know, you're between burns and bend or something like that, mm-hmm. and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you have a malfunction, can you substitute hand signals like you can with just the primary vehicle?
5: So, hand signals, it's prohibited during hours of limited visibility, and when the distance from the center of the top of the steering post to the left outside limit of the body cab or load is greater than 24 inches. So typically when that happens, if we come, if we come across somebody who is, uh, has had, had their lights go down and they're in need to get somewhere, we'll try and escort them and get, uh, get them to a safe spot to where we can get them some equipment or make arrangements to, to try and get them fix it so they can move down the road safely. So Oregon, recently we started a, a program called the Car Care Program, mm-hmm. and we've, we've partnered with uh, some automotive parts stores. And they've provided us with uh, vouchers, equipment vouchers, for people who may have something wrong with their vehicle. So if we stop a vehicle for an equipment violation, we understand that sometimes people put off maintenance on their vehicles in order to uh, pay for other needs that they have, such mm-hmm. as groceries, rent, or whatever. So, so we understand that we can help people out and uh, change, change kind of the trajectory of their life by rather than give them a, a citation, if we can give them a... Voucher that allows them to to get equipment from an auto parts store at a discounted price. Um, then we're going to try and try and do that to help people out.
0: That's a great idea. And and so when you do that, do you document that? Do you know who you've given the vouchers to?
5: Yes, we do. All the vouchers are numbered and kept track of. Family members of of the state police are not allowed to participate in the <laughs> program just so that it doesn't you know doesn't become an issue. And uh, it's it's there to help the the general public.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Now, when you are working in a remote area, do you ever carry any spare parts with you? Uh, I guess there's probably just too many possible scenarios that could come up for you to plan for that. But uh, I was curious about that when you started talking about auto parts, like, oh, maybe you've got something on you.
5: Different troopers have different uh, levels of experience with with helping people out and then uh, varying toolboxes that they may or may not carry with them. So, You'll see a lot of troopers helping people change tires and doing what they can to to get people off the road. You know, if it's a safety issue, we're going to try and and help people however we can as quick as we can so that it doesn't turn into a bigger issue. And then we'll, we'll go from there as far as trying to contact some help, maybe a tow truck that can come out that has some some more equipment that would better be able to assist in something.
0: And I thought, you know, I just had this thought we better clarify when you said that if somebody's got maybe their their lights are out or something like that, you'll try and escort them that this is not a way for people to get across the state faster. It's not a high speed escort.
5: No, absolutely not. <laughs> so no, we're going to get to a, either a safe area to pull over, or if we're, if we're close to a town or an auto parts store, we'll we'll try and get somewhere like that.
0: All right. I was just picturing uh, people who who want to shorten their trip, breaking their tail lights, and waiting for a trooper to to get them. You know, across to Portland. That, or something. Yeah, that
5: that may not work <laughs> out real well.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about safety chains really quick. So, what are the requirements for safety chains when you're towing in Oregon?
5: So uh, safety chains. State any towed vehicle in a combination must be equipped with safety chains or cables that meet the following requirements. One, they must be connected to the towing vehicle in a way that prevents the tow bar from dropping to the ground in the event a tow bar or device fails. Crossing the chains is the most common way to meet this exemption. Okay. Chains or cables have to have sufficient strength to handle the load of the towed vehicle and the ability to control the towed vehicle in the event of separation and uh, three, the chains and cables must be attached with no more slack than is necessary to permit proper turning. So we don't want them dragging on the ground.
0: You know, that's a, a couple things there, um, and we'll will, will kind of go in reverse order, but in, in terms of them dragging on the ground, uh, I think people need to be aware that if they chain something up, if they haven't taken the weight off the tongue of the trailer yet, or if they put more weight on the tongue of the trailer, like they load the trailer or something like that after it's hooked up, they need to, they need to mm-hmm. look and make sure that additional weight doesn't depress the rear end of that tow vehicle to where now the chains are actually touching, right?
5: Yeah, it may take a couple different, uh, if you're loading a trailer, it may take a couple different adjustments to, to get it to the proper length you're going to need it. So it doesn't drag, but it still, still does the job. Yeah, you It doesn't know. impede turning.
0: I actually was following a a trailer once in Idaho, and the the chains had come off, and they were dragging, but they were throwing sparks on dry grass and starting fires all over the place. So uh, I know it's the same in Northeast Oregon. Uh, Late in the summer, you guys get into some real hazardous fire conditions. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot could happen from that for sure. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, I want to ask you about auxiliary
2: brakes, electric brakes, and all of that. All right. Sounds good. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors, when you've got Balin Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Balin Country at d and Made from steel and designed for stamina, Balin Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Balin Country at d and Supply.
3: This is Bill's yard, and Bill's a grill master, not a grass expert. Still, he won't let weeds invade his backyard barbecue kingdom and with scott's turf builder weed and feed bill can clear out weeds green up his lawn and hold his spatula high because scott's weed grip formula is twice as effective on dandelions as it used to be this is a scott's yard pick up scott's weed and feed today
0: lieutenant Belding, let's talk about auxiliary brakes so when are those required on a trailer in oregon
5: Okay, so under the requirements for brakes, it states that in a combination, one or more of the vehicles must have two means of braking, and that's the service brake and the emergency brake. So brakes on any vehicle or combination must be adequate to control the movement, to slow and stop and hold the vehicle or combination of vehicles. The parking brake or the emergency brake must be capable of holding the combination on any grade or operated on any surface free of ice and snow. So under Oregon law, any vehicles in combination must be equipped with brakes that are adequate to stop within a certain distance. While traveling at 20 miles an hour without leaving a 12 foot wide lane, the combination of vehicles must be able to stop within 25 feet if they're under 8,000 pounds and 35 feet if they're over 8,000 pounds. So Oregon law does not require trailer brakes. It just makes sense that if you were hauling a trailer that you would want as much braking power as possible to stop the combination as safely and mm-hmm. quickly as possible in an emergency situation. So Oregon law does state that all safety equipment that came from the manufacturer on your vehicle, including brakes, needs to be kept in good working order. So that, that's where servicing your, your brakes, you know, anytime you're rotating your tires or getting new tires, mm-hmm. just having somebody take a look or, or you looking at your brakes to make sure that they're in, in good shape and good working order.
0: Well, let's talk about fire safety. We kind of brought that up with the issue of the safety chains. If you're towing in Oregon, are you required to carry a fire extinguisher with you?
5: So um, only under federal safety regulations, commercial operators are required to carry emergency equipment that would include a fire extinguisher. Obviously, every uh, motorboat shall carry one on board and fully charged in good condition. But uh, having a fire extinguisher and a first aid kit with you travel, I think, is always a good idea, especially if you're going to be in rural areas. Although there is no requirement in Oregon, you never know when you may uh, be the first one to come mm-hmm. a, across an emergency scene. Yeah, and that's be right. be able to help out. So.
0: Yeah, and you know, that's a really good point is uh, there's a lot of things that are not required by law, but just common sense kind of makes you go, well, still a good idea that I have stuff like that, especially if I'm going to be out here away from emergency services and in and around a situation that, uh, that you know, it could be useful. And you're right. I mean, if you, if you rolled up right at the beginning of, of a small fire and you were able to extinguish it, uh, you know, that fire could grow if it wasn't extinguished into thousands or tens of thousands of acres. It would be really awesome if, if somebody could do something like that.
5: Yes, it would be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about your load. So when you're, when you're carrying a load in a trailer uh, in Oregon, what are the requirements when it comes to covering that load, strapping it down, all that type of stuff?
5: For Oregon, our statute, it says if a person is prohibited from operating a vehicle, or a combination of vehicles, meaning pulling a trailer, on a public roadway that is so constructed or loaded that its contents either drop, sift, leak, or otherwise escape from any vehicle. So it it, it needs to be covered. You know, uh, if you have a few leaves or some grass, biodegradable stuff that's blown out a little bit, it's probably not causing a huge issue, but if you have big things of trash or bales of hay that are going to create a hazard for other motorists, then uh, you're probably going to get a citation for, for that leaking or sifting
0: load yeah and so what you're essentially saying there and don't let me put words in your mouth but I want to clarify for everybody is that the law says one thing and that's that's true it's always true but as troopers we're reasonable humans right and you've got discretion you've got the ability to go okay that's really not that big a deal or to go man you really should have known better and that's that's kind of how you decide whether or not to take enforcement action
5: it's kind of a common sense approach. You know, there's a lot of times where, where people need to be educated. They may not know a certain law exists mm-hmm. or they may not, not be aware of what's going on. So if we can stop something at a low level and uh, provide some education to that person and, and have them not cause a hazard or, or, or get a hold of something before it becomes a big issue, then that's, that's really our goal.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I mean, I think that's the way we would want it done. So uh, it's great that that's how it works. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take our last break when we come back. I, I've got to ask you about load limits and a couple other issues that that I thought of that I thought might be useful to people, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay?
3: All right. Sounds good. Spring is already in the air at D&B Supply because we've got DeWalt blowers and trimmers on hand to get you ready for the road or yard ahead. Power through your outdoor spring cleaning with DeWalt's FlexVolt 60-volt max handheld blower or string trimmer. With a super-powered lightweight lithium-ion battery, they're designed to take charge of tough overgrowth and heavy-duty chores. It's ready, set, blow! When you spring into action with your DeWalt blower or trimmer at D&B
4: Now. At d Supply, we don't let anything bog us down because we have bog boots, the ultimate footwear for working outside in any weather. Bogs are made to face the elements no matter what. Mud? No problem. Snow? Plow right through. Water? Make a splash. They'll keep your feet warm and dry in any season, anywhere you want to wander. With styles and sizes for every job and everyone in your family, pick up a pair of bog boots. Available now at your favorite d
0: All right, Lieutenant Belding, I wanted to ask you, so visibility, uh, and I mean specifically of the license plate on the trailer. You know, I live over in Idaho and I see everything. I see it mounted on the very back and it's horizontal, and then I'll see it on a fender and it's turned vertical because that's the only way it'll fit. What are the requirements in Oregon when people are putting those placards on their tow trailers?
5: Well, good question, Matt. So due to the different types of trailers and vehicles, there really is no specific spot other than the uh, rear of the trailer. So, horizontal's gonna be the most preferred method to display, visible from at least 50 feet away. You know, sometimes it's gonna be mounted in different places just because that's the only place you can get it on the trailer that you've mm-hmm. you've got. So, most important thing is to have it there. A lot of trailers get stolen, so having a clear, clearly visible license plate can help us uh, recover the stolen trailer a lot quicker
0: now let's talk about loading trailers here for a moment so I want to know if there are limits uh, on how heavy you can load trailers in Oregon and then in terms of loading them what to do about trailer sway how people can uh, can avoid that
5: right so people that own and pull trailers should know that the load limits of the trailer and towing vehicle there's four weights that are provided by the manufacturer for tow rating and they're the gross vehicle weight rating the weight that a vehicle can tow varies gross combination weight rating, and the gross axle weight rating. So this information is usually found on the VIN plate of the tow vehicle and trailer, and in the owner's manuals of the tow vehicle. So most manufacturers place the VIN plate inside the drawbar or frame of the trailer, and this information will provide you with the maximum size, loaded weight, and the maximum tongue weight of the trailer that the tow vehicle is capable of towing. If the trailer's too heavy for the towing vehicle, there's a higher risk for an unexpected breakdown or a crash. So it's important to remember that you have a matching hitch system that can handle the tow rating of the vehicle. Public scales are a good way to find the loaded weight of your trailer. So locally, like Flying J or ODOT, a lot of times you'll see some scale houses on the side of different roads, and those are a good place to go and, and see what your weight actually is, whether your trailer's loaded or unloaded.
0: If somebody pulling a travel trailer down the road or a horse trailer or whatever it may be, if they're going past a Oregon Department of Transportation set of scales where the semis pull off, they could actually pull off and, and ask to be weighed? They could. That's great to know. I did not know that. Now, when it comes to loading, what do you see in terms of... Uh, let's talk about trailer sway for a minute. So, uh, do you do you see accidents or damage caused to vehicles or blowouts or anything like that because people have loaded trailers incorrectly and they've got they've got a high degree of sway?
5: Absolutely, and and we see it especially in our canyon areas where where they're coming down off of mountain passes and get into some corners and that sway will really start to magnify and and create more issues than you want to have. So, trailer sway and correct loading of your trailers, it's very important for safe operation. Again, you should refer to the tow vehicle and trailers owner's manuals to find out how to properly balance and weight from side to side evenly along the length of the trailer and brace the loads to prevent shifting and load leveling. So, the goal should be for both the trailer and the tow vehicle to be level to the ground. You know, if you see it overloaded on the front, the tongue's gonna be way down, you'll see your truck kinda almost doing a wheelie up in front and and really sagging in the back. That's not safe to drive down the road. Well, let me ask you about this.
0: And, and one final question for you, Lieutenant. I really do appreciate your time today. If somebody does have a breakdown, they've they've got a mechanical issue, uh, they've got a, a blowout, they've got a flat tire, whatever it may be, and especially if they're on the interstate, um, what do you recommend for people if they need to change a tire, they need to work on a vehicle, but they're, they've pulled off on an area with, with so much traffic that's going at such a high rate of speed?
5: Trouble can happen at unexpected times. And we recommend that if a trailer sits stationary for any length of time, before you go out, you need to check all of the systems. You know, check your wiring, check your brakes, your tires, the axle ends prior to travel. Uh, remember that a slow controlled deceleration and gradual steering input can help you get pulled over the shoulder safely. Make sure that you pull off as far as you safely can on the side of the road. So there's going to be spots where you may not be able to get all the way over because there's a big ditch or or a cliff, but get it Far over as you safely can, and then uh, once the vehicle stopped, for the state police here in Oregon, we have a we have a new cell phone number, and it's star OSP. So it's star six seven seven. Okay, and that'll that'll give uh, anyone who needs assistance that'll put them directly in contact with our dispatch center, and uh, they'll be able to get some information to the closest available uh, trooper to get there and try and help out.
0: Yeah, I asked that question because I've seen people on the side of the interstate, Interstate 84, as a matter of fact, where Mm -hmm. they're laying on the driver's side. They're pulled off on the right-hand side of the interstate. They're laying... On the driver's side, half of their body underneath the vehicle, the and their legs and their feet sticking out towards the the lane of traffic, and it it just makes me nervous uh, for those people. It, and so, it makes
5: me nervous just hearing you talk about it. So, <laughs> you know, we we can show up and we can provide some traffic control. People will tend to to change lanes and and slow down and get over a little bit if they see some yeah some lights, and we're there to help. So. Other than that, if you know, try and make sure you carry some equipment that you can help you if you if you do need to change a tire or uh, first aid kits, some extra water. You never know when you know there may be a big crash and the interstate could be closed for sure. for a long time. So anything you can have, a fire extinguisher, stuff that you want to be able to put into your vehicle to take care of you and your family and uh, and get them down the roadway safely stuff that I would recommend.
0: Well, here is to a safe uh, recreational season for everybody out there on the roadway. Thank you so much for helping us out with that today, Lieutenant Building.
5: All right. Thank you, Matt.
0: Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.